Welcome to episode 111 of No Challenges Remaining, 111. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined for the 111th time by my dear friend Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. Hello, Ben. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And yourself? How are you surviving your, what is this, week number five? No, this is week seven. Week seven in Europe. This is week seven of nine. I am running lower on steam than I was at the beginning of this trip, that's for sure. But I think that being in one place for the remainder of it in Wimbledon in one apartment will help. Yeah, that'll definitely help you settle in. Yeah, because I've been moving around, especially last couple weeks since the French Open, moving around a bunch. So ready to uh, put down some roots again, unpack, and get ready for the lovely championships and all their lovely loveliness. Their championshipness, right? I mean, I think that yeah, they're Wimbledon-y. Wimbledon is a—it's hard to be, to I think Wimbledon just—I don't know. I feel like I'll rise to the occasion of it. Grand Slam adrenaline kicks in, yeah, pretty quickly. Like once the draw comes out, yeah, you know what I mean. Like at, at that point, you know, you get this burst of energy and it helps you get through. And also Wimbledon, we have Middle Sunday. That is nice. Which is massive, which we all know is also called Women's World Cup Final Day. Oh, is it now? So it's going to be a massive viewing party. I'm already, I'm already coordinating. You're hosting. I'm not. I, don't, I can't. I can't say I'm hosting. Okay. Uh, but um, because I don't know what our situation is yet until we get to, until I get to the uh, the Sports Illustrated apartment um, in Wimbledon Village on Saturday. But um, there's already been massive discussions, and by massive, I talked to somebody about it, um, <laughs> <laughs> Brian Armand Graham of The Guardian, uh, about trying to coordinate some sort of viewing party. So um, are you, that's my plan. Are you going to have – I don't mean to bring this up like it's a possibility, but what if it's like Germany, Canada? Are you going to want to watch totally that? It's totally fine. Yeah? I will watch anybody because the thing is, obviously, rooting for the states because, you know, red, white, and blue. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I really like Germany. I think they're great. I'm kind of rooting for France to win just so that they can stop being French um, and actually, like, do something big, which they deserve and they're so good. I'd love to see Japan win it again, defend their title. Basically, I'm on the anyone but Canada train. Okay. And so I think I'm going to be okay. I think I'll be okay. So we're so if it is Canada in the final, there's going to be issues. We're going to hear much more from you from your about your massive trek to Canada later in the show. But in the meantime, we are going to have a lot of other fun things in there, which are more tennis related than that. Uh, We're going to have Alex Willis on the show. Alex Willis is full time person at Wimbledon now, working on a lot of their online content website stuff, and she's been with them with them for a few years. We're going to talk to her about what it's like to work at Wimbledon and to and all the different projects she does, because she does all sorts of different stuff. And with Wimbledon coming up, it seemed like the time of year to have her on, even though she's super busy. We appreciate her making the time to talk to us this week. And before that, we're going to talk to Renee Denfeld, who is one half of the Runaway Success Twitter account of WTA Reactions, which I didn't realize exactly how new it was. It started during Rome, and it already has like 5,000 followers. Which is yep. pretty incredible to me. That's it's yeah, like, no, it's like and it's the biggest tennis Twitter success story, I think of of our of our times. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, I like I said, and Ben knows this. 
at the beginning of this year, I wrote a post on my blog about things that I wanted to see in 2015. And one of the bullet points that I kind of went off on was this idea of like, who will be the tennis giffer? Right. We needed who so will, badly. Who will step up and, and fulfill this role? Um, and because these are the moments that make tennis bigger, that make it fun. It's a, it's an area that was completely underserved. Nobody was really addressing it. It was a massive opportunity. And just obviously the way that that account came about, especially in light of all of kind of the ATP crackdown, which was discussed a little bit last week um, in Ben's interview with George's. Yeah, like just kind of how it became this WTA only kind of thing. Um, but they've just done such a great job with it. It is my favorite Twitter account to follow. I love it. It's fantastic. So we're going to hear from Renee and Robin Copeland is the other uh creator of this she sends her regards but is not on the show i was talking to renee while we were in hala together last week and here he is with me here with renee denfeld who is one half of the runaway smash hit twitter account of 2015 that is wta reactions robin copeland is your partner in this exactly how's it been going so far wta reactions and welcome to the show first oh, of all thanks thank, thanks for having at least one half of us um yeah. Yeah, so far it's been great. So far it's been great fun, really, ent- uh, really entertaining for us. And um, yeah, we're quite surprised by how well people have taken to it, really. How did you get the idea to do it? Uh, I think the idea or the inspiration behind it was um, the fact of the emoji video in Rome, okay. uh, which was just essentially two minutes of jiffable WTA reactions. Yep. And, um, it was just reactions. It was just reactions. Yeah. And as a result, uh, both Robin and me ended up Jiffing the hell out of uh, those two minutes, and at one point, Robin said, "Ah, oh, no, uh, the Twitter handle uh, tennis reactions is taken." And I said, "Well, just go with WTA reactions," and that's how WTA reactions was born. Very nice. Now, for those of you who may not know, just a technical sort of question: How do you make gifts? How is this done? Because I would not know how to do it except maybe some website I found once where you put a YouTube video in and make a gift that way but it's usually a pretty crappy one your gifts are non-crappy how is it done? Um, it depends you can do it with, uh, via Photoshop you can use screen ro- uh, screen recording programs it, it depends on what you want to do if you're more of a uh, quick rap person then maybe you record a replay or something like that it depends on what it is but if it's more elaborate then usually it might involve photoshop and uh taking the individual um yeah pictures of that gif and maybe editing frame by frame frame by frame exactly yeah yeah Yeah, so what are some of the more elaborate ones that you've personally have done i know that i was uh uh, robin has done one (laughs) elaborate one recently at the french open per my sort of in request, I wouldn't say request, but my idea um, of, well, maybe the request is fair, but of, you know, Grigor Dimitrov and Jeannie Bouchard and their famous helicopter ride, and they both exactly. lost within minutes of each other at the French Open, and the helicopter <laughs> crashed. <laughs> crashed, yeah. Um, but what, what are some of the more elaborate ones that you've done, and how do you get inspiration for that? Um, it's, it's, it's difficult. Uh, some, sometimes it just comes to you, sometimes you just get, get an idea because someone mentioned something on Twitter, it's just like, oh, this looked like this and that. And, um, for example, one of the more elaborate ones was um, Timea Baczynski and um, Petra Kvitova playing um, 
a point and Pashinsky ending up tumbling all over the over the clay and I edited that into a sort of Mario tennis version of that where Pashinsky just ended up ends up ends up slipping on a ton of banana peels that came off of Petra's racket or um, it's very solid. I love Mario tennis. I don't know if I anybody else does. I, I, so never, I never liked it with all the gimmicks. I just liked pure Mario Tennis N64 yeah. back before all the power shot stuff because it was actually a fairly realistic tennis game when you took away all the nonsense. It was, yeah. it was, but I added the nonsense because it's Mario. Fun. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand fun. <laughs> I prefer tennis to fun, sadly, um, which says a lot about my life. Um, so <laughs> you guys seem to have a particular favorite player. I think it's fair to say that WTA Reactions has a mascot. Um, what is it about? You can assume we're thinking the same person. What is it that makes would, this player, if you want to name her, we can say her at the same on the count of three if you want. Um, what makes one, two, three? Alize Cornet so wonderfully gifable. A past guest of NCR, by the way, episode seventy-two, which says that she's wonderful in audio only, also, but in the visual medium, she is a, a true artist. She is. She is. She's. Um... She's she's almost a jiv on legs when it yeah. comes to her matches. Um, yeah, that, that's also where I'm supposed to uh, to give a message uh, from Robin, who said um, <laughs> uh, the only thing that I want that I want to pass on is thank you very uh, thank you Alize Kone for being who you are and for existing just in general. Yeah, which I agree with. Um, Many because yes, yeah, I don't know. With Alize, you've got all the emotions in the world on court, and um, she has a very expressive way of I'd say delivering them on court and that is fantastic and you two were saying at the French Open that you guys actually sort of tried to plan out so at least one of you would be available <laughs> yeah. on standby for any given Cornet match it's true that's it's true we were, actually, we were like um, are you around for the Cornet match on, uh, on Sunday morning uh, against Vitalina oh yeah I will be oh me too so okay cool we're covered yeah <laughs> any other any other particularly great players for for Giffage I think Players like, like Serena has been fantastic at the French Open, um, but also like there, there's a couple of them. There's a couple, like and and there are really random moments that you wouldn't expect, like the Pliskovas colliding into one another. That was another. amazing. That, that might was, be my favorite one of yours so far. That was just such a lucky, did, lucky. Did one of you happen to see that live, or did someone pass that on to you? Do you know? No, I happened to 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 zap th- uh, through the courts and just just got stuck at it at the, um, in the tiebreak, and I thought, oh, let's see how this one plays out, and. Uh, Happened to see it, and I was like, "Oh my god, amazing!" That was pretty much amazing. What do, oh, we've been talking on the show. We had the ATP yeah. reps on earlier. We talked when it became an issue first, I guess, in April about some of the mm. uh, copyright issues the gifts stumble across and the conflict yeah. between tours, content providers, and intellectual property rights, whatever you want to call it, yeah. content creation versus gifts and fan involvement in the sport. Where where do, where do you guys, you I guess you individually, come down on that and sort of seeing the balance? And is that something you guys are concerned about when you're making? these creations um i think at the beginning at least in april uh, it was it was like yeah okay where where is the what what are we allowed to do what are we not allowed to do there's there's there are there's intellectual property there there is a case to be made for both sides and it is a bit of a gray area overall because you can uh, argue transformative and so on and so forth especially when you're like putting banana peels on things exactly because that's it, definitely it, transformative that is, that is not necessarily a, a tennis broadcast ripoff at, at right. the end um, but yeah I can see both sides and I think at the end it is something that maybe does promote 
parts of the game at least and it is something that is fun and that is like a more fun element of the game and I think what's quite good or what both Robin and me are quite happy about when it comes to WTA reactions is that the players seem to have taken it on board yeah. quite well. There's um, a lot of players following it Following it now, it yeah. now yeah. And uh, they just seem to see the fun side and seem to enjoy the same fun side. And the WTA account, I think, is following it. A couple of WTA people as well. So we think we're probably on, a, on, on the good side there and um, haven't had any complaints so far. And um, I know that... The, the ATP has made it a bit more specific when it comes to what they want, what they're okay with when it comes to jiffing yeah, and not. Some parameters, yeah. There are some parameters, and um, yeah, that is something that I've sort of tried to keep to over the past couple of months and weeks, and um, it's just going to be interesting to see how it all pans out because it is, it is a format, I think, that, for example, vines are largely underrepresented on, for example, on the ATP website. I don't see any ATP material when it comes to vines so that is something where I think maybe they can take up on that or just get people to do more of that do you guys have any big plans for the future any people should look or just spend match by match I mean I guess you guys are pretty much immediate I'm doubting there's like some if there is incredible but I'm doubting there's been some you know eight week long project in the works from WTR actually it seems more like uh, being really timely fast and reactionary in a good way yeah we're just taking it one match at a time you know there you go (laughs) no it's just um i mean we've only been we've only started it like a month ago during the rome tournament and we'll just we'll just see how it goes and and where where the journey leads us you we you (laughs) and i renee are here together in holla which is an atp only tournament do you think the atp is i guess i think it is i'm gonna say it's a statement of fact why is the atp generally less gifable than WTA. I'm I not, think I think that it is. Uh, it's difficult to say. I think that you've got a couple of more, maybe maybe hot-heated characters. Hot-heated characters is a bit rude, essentially, maybe. But I think you've got a couple of more ex- more expressive characters and you've got more chivalry amongst the ATP. Where, chivalry, okay. Which, so, <laughs> if, if that makes any sense. It's sure. A bit, it's, it, yeah. But I think the ATP is difficult as well. It just... Not maybe not as much on court. On court, you've got I think more characters on, on the WTA than on the ATP. They let their emotions, emotions, more more emotions for everyone. Yeah. There you go. And you guys are not the ATP reactions account. No, that correct. That's no, something. that's not us. No, that's something different. But all the best to them and anyone who wants to keep making tennis fan content. The sport is always better off exactly. for all of it. So thank you very much, Renee and Robin, for doing yep. this for being, making. Tennis Twitter, a more fun place, a loopable place to be. Uh, do you, before we leave you, Renee, have any sign-off song you want? A song that's about gifts and emotions or any way, or just anything in general? Yeah, I'll just go with uh, Jenna Maroney's balls. <laughs> balls, 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 balls. Balls, 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 So speaking of Halle, Roger Federer won a tournament there for the eighth time doesn't really feel like news when Roger Federer wins Halle, I gotta say. Feels like world is still turning. Same thing, pretty much with Andy Murray winning Queens. But they're ATP 500s, Ben! Okay, so that was, you know, it was really, really funny. <laughs> At Halle, they had these banners everywhere, um, which would listen at the ATP 500 cities, and they were being, like, very self-deprecating about it. It's like, look at this list. It's like Dubai and Peking, which they call Beijing, mm-hmm. and Washington, and uh, what are the other ones? London, and 
Holla Westfallen. <laughs> and it was like, and it's not even, and they were saying, like, they were saying, like, isn't this weird? And this, they were being, oh, they're like, <laughs> there's us. Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> people, people in Germany don't even know where this is. It's like not, it's a city of 20,000 people. It's not even the most famous town named Halle in Germany. It's like the alternate Halle. It's like having, you know, a big uh, tournament in Albany, Georgia or something. It just, wouldn't work. People routinely go to the wrong city when they're trying to get there. People, Jovanovsky, Hala, all the time. Really? And, yeah. But anyway, it was a good time there. In terms of the takeaways from the grass season so far, far according, do you have any in particular? Like I said, Roger won a title. Murray won a title. Nadal won a 250-inch Stuttgart, the new grass tournament week before that. Women's side, not too much. Kerber winning her third straight premier-level tournament. Um, a title for Anna Kanya, but it doesn't seem like anything that really... I don't think changes Wimbledon forecast too much. Uh, not a ton. I mean, there were a few little things, you know, like injuries here and there. Very distressed to hear that that Victoria Azarenka had to pull out of Birmingham with a with her foot injury, same foot that she had that kept that had that injury that kept her out for so yeah. long last year. So I didn't love seeing that. I, I'm still just kind of like waiting and wanting for Azarenka to make that deep run anywhere just to like get her ranking up. Um, and get her back where she belongs um, and just also kind of catch a break in a lot of ways because the the tennis gods have not been smiling down upon her since her return uh, in any way, shape, or form. So that was definitely uh, a bummer to see. Um, You know, I mean, I guess for me, in terms of the forecasting for Wimbledon, really you're looking at the players who are the favorites are still going to be the favorites, but you're also looking at those kind of marginal players who were great last year really coming in limping, right, and struggling. Yeah. You know, Bouchard, semifinalist last year. We know her issue. Ten of her last 11, she's lost now. Got bageled in the final set by Mladenovic in Birmingham. Brutal. Let's see. Halep also got also took a bagel. <laughs> from, yeah, my by Mladenovic took a bagel from Mladenovic. Kiki on Kiki rising actually stringing together good wins, but yeah, I mean Halep hasn't looked great. You know, I think we can officially say she's she's slumping since Miami, and then Dimitrov, who's doing the same thing that he was always doing this entire year, which is not really living up to the hype that that he himself was able to create last year, especially on grass. Um, and he goes into Wimbledon, you know, not looking in great form either, semifinalist last year. So, ugh, rough. Speaking of slumpy people, can I just insert a quick inter- uh, mix zone chat I did with Ernest Golbus? Ooh, always. From Hala, because he's talking about slumpy people. Ernest Golbus is optimistic, let's say, about <laughs> what the future holds for him. Uh, take a listen. I could do better with my serve today. Not, not especially on the, on the deciding moments, and I didn't get uh, a lot of first serves in. So we need to work on that. And, but overall, I feel much, much better. I feel like a player again. I feel like I can, I can win matches, you know, and if I'm in this state of body and, and, and game, it's just a matter of a couple of matches and I can start winning again. What did it, what did it take for you to feel like a player again? What, what changed? It's been one month, one month of practicing. Already in Paris, it was more or less okay, but I wasn't ready to, to win nothing big there. I don't know if I'm ready to win something big on the grass, but, but uh, I never won nothing big on grass. But, yeah. uh, getting there you know it's just one month of, of work and I feel really fit now I have nowhere pain and just happy about that you ranking obviously fell up to the French Open and now you do you feel it all more like a hunter and not you know the hunted let's say is it all more comfortable when you're, tr- when you're trying to get better to not have the pressure of having a high seed and points to defend and things like that I don't think no. uh, that uh, anybody's happy that I'm not seated yeah. in the slams especially I think that I'm uh, probably the most dangerous unseated player now 
so it can be tough for somebody in the first round as well as for me, but uh, it's uh, still like a... It's okay. You, you seem pretty confident now, though. I mean, like, you seem like you're in a good place with your tennis now, and you feel like you'll, by the end of the year you'll be doing better than first half? It's tough to get I got three wins, so I hope I get You set the bar low for yourself, it's good. Yeah, it's like you're meeting a girl, you know, and and you set the bar as low as possible, so there's no expectation, so you can go only surprise her. This is what I'm going to do. Is that your technique with girls? To just be really unimpressive at the beginning, so that you surprise them at the end? I'm, how do you say, I adjust the situation. Now I need to adjust to this situation when my ranking is what it is. My first half of the year was as it was, but uh, of course I'm sad about it, but uh, I, have, I, I think I have good things upcoming already this year. I hope to be back in, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure, and you can take my word for it, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to be in, uh, back in top 10 in some period of time. I don't know how long it's going to take me again. It's going to take me half a year, one year, one and a half year, but I don't think longer than that because I think that my game is there. And, I think that there's going to be still a lot of changes in the top 10 in the next upcoming yeah. years and still uh, I'm just 26, so I still have time, I still have good, good. I, I wish, 6-7 years of my career. So, you know, it's, it's, everybody's talking about the young guys, young guys, but I don't, I don't consider myself as an old, old guy yet, yeah, sure. you know, so I still have good, for sure, my prime next five years, so I think that I'm going to do... I think that I'm going to have some big results still in my career. You talked you talk back when you were outside the top 100 about how tough it was playing challengers and stuff in small tournaments. Are you willing to do that again? I mean, you're in a ranking where some guys play challengers sometimes. I'll do whatever it takes. I'm not saying, uh, listen, I've been uh, through that, but I don't think that I'm... Uh, listen, I have now uh, many tournaments where I'm going to be in main draw. Uh, probably I'm going to play everything uh, after, uh, after Wimbledon, all the 250s, and you know how it is you get quarter, same in final, somewhere you get the points and you're back in uh, in top 100, it's, 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 it's hard to fall out of top 100, you know, I'm probably the only guy who can manage that, <laughs> twice. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you, Ernest. So, yeah, coming in, before the draw comes out, we'll obviously break down the draw when it comes out on Friday um, for episode 112, but it doesn't seem to me like there's any real... You know, question marks. Like, ooh, what if this person lands with this person? Like, I, especially with Serena and Petra being one and two. Yeah. Um. On and I guess maybe does Murray wind up on the same half as Federer or Djokovic? Just a little bit of something, but you know, none of those three guys are absolute stone cold locks to make it that far. Um, I think Murray is coming in with very well. I think he's the one whose stock is sort of better than his ranking by the most right now on the men's yeah. side. I think um, that's right. He's number two. Yeah, he's number two ahead of. Ahead of Federer, I guess. Yeah. yeah, he has to be. I mean, he hasn't lost to anyone other than the number one since February, end of February. That's pretty you know? good. He's like 31 and 0 against everybody not named Novak Djokovic since since uh, losing to Borna Choric and in Dubai. So Andy Murray, to me, hands down, not even a question, is the number two player in the world right now. He has points to gain at Wimbledon. He's playing great. He seems relaxed and chilled out. And there's a, and one thing I will, I'm going to, you know, go ahead and throw up some, some big ups to Andy Murray because after he won Queens, it sounded like, I haven't seen the transcript, but based on some of the quotes that I've seen floating around, it sounded like everyone really, the press really wanted to focus on Jonas Bjorkman mm-hmm. uh, because Andy Murray is undefeated under Bjorkman in case you didn't know, having won, uh, what was the title in Germany? Uh, Munich. Uh, Munich, right. He won having won Munich under Bjorkman and now 
Amelie wasn't well, in Queens, and he wins Queens. Well, and, he wasn't. It was Jonas and Jonas was in Paris, so when he lost, right? Right. Well, no, I don't think he was in Paris, and he was. He was only there for the beginning of Madrid, and then oh, okay. he left when Amelie got there. Okay. So the whole thing, like, there seemed to be a lot of questions. Like, you're undefeated, and Andy Murray, being the experienced operator in the press room that he now is like went out of his way to be like all you know yes it's been great Jonas is awesome won a bunch with him but what I'm really seeing is all of the work that I've done with Amelie (laughs) paying off because all of the stuff that we've been working on it's now like all coming and I'm like Andy Murray you would make a great press press room secretary (laughs) White House secretary yeah so it was kids stays on message yeah exactly and he knows exactly I mean and we've seen this from him a couple of times uh, we saw this in uh, Paris when he was asked by uh, the British press about um, Novak after losing to Djokovic um, about Djokovic's uh, taking a medical timeout and or whatever, taking a bathroom break, all this stuff. And he cut it off and was like, you know what? I'm not going there. Uh, this happened in Australia. I said one word. You guys blew it out of proportion and turned it into a thing that it wasn't. So I'm not going there. So good on Murray. I, I was I was reminded of this when coming to this is my first full day in England today, going to Roehampton, which was rainy and then not rainy eventually, luckily, but passing the newsstand for the first time and seeing Kim Sears, Kim Murray, Kim Sears Murray, I don't know, Kim on the front page of three newspapers. Why was she because on the front page? I think like, did I was she like, do something? What? She was in the stand while her husband won a tennis tournament. Andy was only on two front pages. Kim was on three. To be fair, this is Andy's fault. His hair is looking out of control these days. <laughs> he better get that shit cut before he steps onto the to the lawns of the All England Club because it is it is it is wily. So I can understand editor, editors' decisions to put Kim Sears and her luscious locks on the front page. But that being said, what I just said was completely facetious. That is bullshit. <laughs> um, yeah, he's your guy, England or Britain. He's your guy. I would <laughs> embrace him. Was... I would think it was so weird if I was Kim and, like, was on the front page of newspapers for doing nothing, essentially, except for standing there and clapping while someone else won. Agreed. You know? No, I totally I just think it's weird. I don't, I'd be curious what her thoughts are on that. Um, she doesn't really talk to the press much. She's not, like, asking for attention at all, which is why she keeps getting it all the more baffling to me. It's not even like she's someone who really puts herself super out there and is, like, a real, you know, media figure in any way. Like, Judy Judy puts herself out there, and Judy does interviews, Judy. It's all the programs, she does and everything. But Kim kind of doesn't, and... Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I, the, the weird thing as well, or at least not weird, but the unfortunate thing, is, like, I wish that she would tweet more under the Maggie Mayhem tw- Twitter account, which is kind of, like, really died off. And it was always, like, a really great kind of insight into her uh, personality a little bit. Um, that I don't account. think a lot of people even know that it was her. Did they think it was Andy? <laughs> I don't know when people really put much thought into it, but yeah, I yeah, guess. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it was always one of my favorite accounts to follow because I thought it was like genuinely funny. And then at some point she just kind of like slowed it all down and then doesn't really like tweet from it anymore. I don't know. Maybe dogs are over it. Maybe they're on some other social networking thing now these days, which is entirely possible. The dogs are just all on, I don't know, canine Tinder. Exactly. Something. Uh, paw, paw left. Anyways. <laughs> Yeah. That was cute. Yes. Um, speaking <laughs> of, I, I can't say, say I, there's no way I could possibly segue from canine Tinder to Alex Willis, but <laughs> <laughs> I 
I mean that as the highest compliment. Alex, <laughs> Alex, <laughs> Alexandra Willis is uh, joining us next on the show to talk about all things Wimbledon. Nothing at all whatsoever can on Twitter. Enjoy. You should ask her uh, about uh, it, though. I'm sure she I'm, has thoughts. I'm She's sure very she... smart, Alex Willis. What is Oxford educated. Very, very bright young lady. But you know what she does do? She does design apps. And so maybe after finishing the Wimbledon app this year, she'll talk to her developers and they will make canine Tinder. Um, I do think, though, that it would be tough for them because so many, well, I don't know. I was going to go into canine, you know, mating in a way. I just don't need to. No, uh, you ever, ever need to. <laughs> here's Alex. Sorry, Alex. I'm extremely chuffed, to use a British word, to be joined here by Alex Willis, Alexandra Willis, head of digital and content for Wimbledon. Hi, Alex. Hello, Ben. We're, we're very excited for this Wimbledon adventure thing we're about to do here. But in the meantime, let's just get to know where we are now, the launching pad of our great expedition, the bunker, Wimbledon.com. This is the nerve center of everything. Yes, we are down in a fairly nondescript room in the bowels of the broadcast center at Wimbledon, um, affectionately known as the bunker because it doesn't have a lot of air. It doesn't have a lot of light either, but it becomes our home for about three weeks, so the week of qualifying plus the two weeks of the championships. And it's, uh, yeah, it's where everything we produce here at Wimbledon comes from. I like that phone ringing gives it a lot of, it's a fizzing, buzzing place. It's <laughs> tremendous. Uh, so, yeah, so you have been working at Wimbledon. Let's learn a little bit about you before you show us around the place. You have been... Thank you very you much. You just silence the phone. There you go. <laughs> this is how important NCR is, that we get to silence Wimbledon phones. That's pretty cool. That's a, that's a landmark moment for us, I feel like. So you have been at Wimbledon for a number of years now. Talk about how where you were before and how you came here and what sort of stuff it is you do at Wimbledon. Sure. Um, I first started working at Wimbledon uh, four years ago. Um, this is actually my eighth championships here um, as a someone accredited you know, with a credential. Yeah. Um, and I started life working for a tennis magazine called Ace Magazine, for those of you out there who might have heard of it. Um, it was uh, British Tennis's answer to Tennis Magazine, uh, mm-hmm. the very celebrated US publication. Um, and uh, I worked there for three years. Then I went freelance for a while. I wrote for a few newspapers, wrote for uh, Australian Open, Grand Slam website. Yeah. Um, and then I uh, got a phone call to say that Wimbledon's uh, web editor was leaving and could I possibly come in on a sort of part-time basis and write some stuff for the website. So I thought, well, yes, please. <laughs> like any freelancer, never say yeah. no to anything. Um, so I did. Um, and I started working here. That was in 2000 and... Uh, oh, dear. 2011. Yeah. It was, Yes. And uh, not long after that, I also got invited to do a job at the Telegraph newspaper in in London. So I did that, and I did the Wimbledon job at the same time. I don't advise anyone to do two jobs at once. Um, And kind of at the end of that period, which went on for about 10 months, I actually got invited to have a full-time job here at Wimbledon looking after all the digital, which was not a job that previously existed. So before you show us around your sort of your, your, your layer here, your not layer, your, your, your turf, your, your championship grounds. It's like reading the style guy. There's all sorts of appropriately capitalized terms I can use to describe this place. What is it like working at Wimbledon every day? You're not obviously in this room most of the time. You're somewhere else. but No, we're, we, we're in the office building, which is just yeah. the other side of the grounds where the museum is for yeah. anyone that's been. But um, 
The number one question I ever get asked by anyone when I say I work at Wimbledon is, well, what do you do for 50 weeks of the year? Yeah. And I think people don't necessarily appreciate that um, the staff here do work here all year round, and this is a living, breathing place. It doesn't just kind of shut up shop and, and disappear. Um, so I mean, how would I describe it? It's, it's a privilege. It really is. Um, it is a a unbelievable brand to work for in many ways, especially in the digital space, because we are trying to blend this traditional, stuffy, eccentric image with innovation. And, you know, in the social media world, which grows so fast, um, and then in the content side and digital and everything, and we really have the, the bandwidth to do that and the buy-in to do that, because people here at Wimbledon see it as being very important to helping sell the message of Wimbledon and, and yeah. sell the brand not to, to sell it to sell tickets yeah. but to encourage people to believe in Wimbledon and that's important that they get it that they really value this side of the operation because I don't know that all tournaments are this way I don't think anybody has the sort of full-time dedicated I don't know do you have opposite numbers at other tournaments who are as on it as you are all the time so I'm not sure I do have opposite numbers um, I mean the, the difference with the other slams is that they're also running the governing body right yeah. so um, their teams are mu much much bigger than um, our year round team here is essentially me from a digital content perspective yeah. plus a little bit of, of freelance help um, whereas the other slams have marketing teams you know, big, big teams um, but the, the big difference from, from their side is that they have these um, revenue-generating objectives with digital. So they are either selling tickets off their websites or they're doing very, you know, sort of uh, more commercial activations with their partners, whereas here, Wimbledon is the hero. Yeah. Um, we do have commercial partnerships, but it's all about making Wimbledon the hero, and it's that partner in, our, in association with us. So to your point, we're incredibly lucky, and 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 I think um, the club and, and our kind of higher ups deserve credit for that because they do they do get that. Is it as formal as it seems year round? Is it everyone always in suits and everything and being proper all the time? Uh, it, it is a very yeah. proper place. Um, we do have a smart dress code. Mm. Um, when I first started working here, I did get told to smarten up my image, uh, <laughs> which was for for a, for a journalist who was used to wearing jeans and whatnot. And I thought I was a relatively smart journalist. But journalists no. are pretty schlubby as a people. Yeah, that was definitely a wake up call. The other was arriving here before nine a.m. every morning. Oof. That was also uh, a challenge to me. Um, but you know I adapted um, but it, it is a formal place things are done in, in the right way um, for example we're going to go on a little tour around but yeah. where the trophies are housed is in the kind of entrance to the clubhouse that's a members only area traditionally um, we do have these traditions but I think you can obsess about the traditions too much and you can lose sight of the, the bigger brand in obsessing about the traditions, but they are at the heart of it. So yeah. you have to respect them at the same traditions time. Traditions are the brand. In totally. Ways, yeah. But but I but not to to re-emphasize it too much. It is this blend of tradition, but in an innovative way. So, um, as I'm sure you guys have covered before, uh, or maybe you will come on to the new facilities here um, are, that they built for the players for media are really you know, very impressive but they're still absolutely in a Wimbledon way. So you'll see when you're in the media restaurant that there are there's planting, there are flowers yeah. growing out of kind of shelves. <laughs> um, I mean, what, what, what other place would you go in the world where they try and put flowers inside buildings? It's, um, it's absolutely about that attention to detail and that quality. Very nice. So shall we get moving? Let's get moving. We'll leave the bunker. We'll get some air. All right.
and off we go. We're outside, folks. We don't do a lot on No Challenge Demanding outdoors, so this is pretty adventurous for us. We're emerging from the bunker here. Staircase awaits. So when do you move to the bunker? How many weeks of the year are you in here? Just during these three weeks? Yeah, we move to the bunker usually... um, Our kind of content build-up really starts once Roland Garros is finished. Okay. We try, you know, out of respect to the other Grand Slams... We, we cover their event, but we, for example, we didn't want to launch the new Wimbledon.com during Roland Garros. We sure. wanted to wait till afterwards. We've obviously had an extra week this year. Yeah. Um, Does that change things much? Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it, was, um, it was nice to have a little bit more time um, just to not feel rushed. I think two weeks is, is difficult to build momentum, but also get the timing right. Um, yeah. You know, we... We want to be creating content that people are interested in, and if you're shoving at, at people too early, then you know they don't care; they're not yeah, bothered. Exactly. So um, we're just walking up now past uh, Court 14, which so is a back. newly renovated court. Yeah, these are 14 and 15 were the ones under construction last year, right? That's absolutely right. Yeah, so that's back. That now has a, a basement underneath it, which houses all the photographers ah. and uh, also the new media restaurant. And Court 15 has got all the Ball boys and girls underneath it. Tremendous. I mean, sorry, um, they're buried there, but no, they're, 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 they're doing okay. <laughs> no, well, I mean, the media have commented about how light the space is underneath yeah. there. So. We're now passing court 18, and the plaque, the famous plaque, the longest match, was played on court 18, number 18 court, the style guide, of course, uh, June 22nd through 24th, 2010. John Isner of the USA beating Nicolas Mahout of France. Scoreline yep. ending in 70-68. Five years this, ago, yeah. that match. Were you here when the plaque went up? Were you already working with I them? I was, then? yes, yeah. yes, I was. Um, it's and there was some discussion about whether or not to do the plaque, yeah? There was. No, no, there was always going to be a plaque. There was discussion about whether there should be one for the golden set. Yes, the uh, Shvedova, Played by Shvedova, yeah. Um, I think it was felt that that would be, I mean... Cruel this to Irani. Was, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, this was celebrating an extraordinary moment. Yeah. You don't necessarily want to celebrate a negative moment. Yeah, it could be negative for her, for um, sure. What court was that on, do you know? Ronnie uh, Shvedova? Four or five, Yeah, I one think. of the field courts, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So it's also harder to put a plaque there, maybe. The outside courts. Yes. Style guy. The outside courts, yes. Of course. So here's court 18. Yelena Yankovic once complained that she had to take a helicopter to this court, which is pretty erroneous because it's actually really close to center court. I mean, there's, there's less than 100 meters between 18 and center, but we do enjoy JJ's yeah. flair for the dramatic. And we're now here rustling water on a fountain. It's usually not this quiet, I guess, during the tournament, so... You can't well, usually hear it. This is what I was going to say is where we're walking now is this space up towards the hill. And um, during the championships, it is knee deep in people. Yeah. Um, and what, what you're seeing now is what we get to see every day. And when I talk about being here, being a privilege that you sometimes can forget, you know, we experience this on a daily basis. Yeah. And you're just looking at the hill as we've got blue sky, we've yeah. got an aeroplane in the background. So, yeah. um, let's, let's talk about the hill. The hill is. I think became a pretty iconic part of Wimbledon lore, I think especially even just from watching it on TV. They, they show the hill quite a bit whenever Henman and now Murray were playing. They, you see people picnicking out there. You see Pam Shriver uh, interviewing fans of various levels of intoxication, and it's all tremendous. Um, this hill, it's, I mean, it's not as big, I think, maybe as it looks on TV, or it's more stair-steppy. I don't know. It, maybe, maybe it is the right size. But I remember thinking when I first saw it, like, oh, it's... Was smaller than I thought. I thought it was a mountain that it was built up, but it's just, it's a hill. Do you know the story of how the hill came to be? I do not. So, to the right of the hill is obviously number one court, and yes. when they built number one court, they had to dig a big hole ah. to put the court in. 
so they put all the whole the, all the earth they dug up next to it yeah and hence the hill was born and they actually had to get special permission to bring in a fire engine to water the grass on the hill to keep it alive until it had kind of bedded in yeah um so that that is what we see now but what's what's interesting for us is that most people who watch Wimbledon on TV probably only see Centre Court. Yeah. And they see the Royal Box and they get that impression of Wimbledon. And what we're trying to do with all our different bits of content, you know, be it uh, Periscope or Vine or, or the website imagery that we put up, is show off the different bits that make Wimbledon what it is. All these different things. And the hill is absolutely one of those. Is um, that new, that seating up there? No, that's always there. Oh, yeah. So there's a, there's a couple few rows of seating like it, like it would be for a court, just above the hill. Mm-hmm. Okay, I didn't notice yeah. that before. It's for um, uh, mobility-impaired people. Ah, oh, there we go. Yes. We, like, we do like them. Yeah. Um, all right, so that's the hill. Now we're looking out on the grounds. We're t- we did a 180 here for those of you playing along at home with your Wimbledon maps. And yes, we're walking... and the iPad app. Yes, and the iPad app. Yes, yeah, so let's talk about the apps briefly while we sort of backtrack a bit. You also work sure. on the apps, designing the apps. Yes. For things. We, have a, we have an odd segue into your segment when we recorded it last night that's about apps somewhat. So let's talk about the app. What goes into making the Wimbledon app and how is that uh, a vital part of, you know, sports branding in 2015? Sure. Um, well, I mean, I think one thing to say is that um, four years ago when I first started working here, and by the way, just to be totally upfront. It, you might get the impression, I think, that we're perfect. No. We're absolutely not perfect. We've got a lot still to do and a long way to go, but we feel like we've started going in the right direction. And um, four years ago, we had a website that looked exactly the same as the other four Grand Slams. Right. And until two years ago, or last year, when we launched the new Wimbledon app, we had an app that looked the same as the four Grand Slams. Yeah. It had the same back end, just different colour scheme. And so what we wanted to do was bring you that visual experience that it's very beautiful, but also make it very easy to use and, most importantly, make it personalisable. Because certainly, um, I think people will... We're making a left. We're making a left. We're going down the rose arbor now. Ooh. Which is the Flowers everywhere. The, uh, and more flowers that have not, not yet been hung. Hanging baskets. What, are the, what kind of flowers are those, do you know? Uh, I think they're peonies. Oh, peonies. Very yes. nice. They have, they have the flowers on the platform at Southfield Station this they year. They do, they yes. They look very nice. I can talk about that Classing well, up like. the tube. Yeah, talk about whatever you want. Um, we'll finish the app and we'll I'll get to the flowers. I'll finish the app. <laughs> so, uh, certainly, when I go to an event and I want to find out how someone's getting on, and especially on a small screen, you could just find you're scrolling for hours and hours and hours to find no. the player that you're interested in, if you're not quite so savvy with technology as you probably are, Ben. Oh, thank you. Um, so, we basically wanted to give people the opportunity to favourite their players okay. but not just players countries as well oh, say nice. you want to know how all the Spanish are doing and also events so say you were only interested in singles and you didn't really care about doubles yeah. um, which I will say is a common thing a common problem just as someone who covers almost only singles having the doubles and later the juniors sort of clogging up the scoreboard it can be hard to find the matches that matter sometimes yeah. to what we're writing about Yeah. so that, so that was um, the, the kind of crux of the app to be this uh, very easy to dip in and dip out on the go companion because we believe that's what an app should be. Yeah. Um, one thing we've put in this year, which I personally matters to me because I thought I think it's a good thing to do, is that when you lose your network connectivity, the app doesn't just die. Oh, good. So it, it basically freezes um, on what you were last looking at. So you could still continue to go um, in all through all the news. You could look through all the results. You could look through the draws. It's only the live, live elements um, 
that wouldn't refresh until right. you regain connectivity. But I, I just felt it wasn't a very good experience for someone using the app, be looking at something, and suddenly off it turns. And it's a, it's, this is a year-round thing for you, I think it should be clear. I mean, obviously, you're talking about working at Wimbledon year-round. I mean, the app development, website development, it's not just something that, oh, French Open just ended, let's whip together an app and a website. Absolutely not. I mean, we started, we decided uh, probably the day the tournament finished last year, we were going to build a new website for the next year. And so we started the planning for that in August. Uh, we had our first meetings um, in September about it, and design started in October. So mm. it really is um, that kind of process. So let's we'll talk about where we are now. Before we get, to the, We'll go back to the flowers later, but right now we're just walking somewhere very exciting. We're about to walk up into... Centre Court. Centre Court. This is the thing. This yeah. is it. This Sh- is shall the, we walk? Uh, yeah, let's walk. Oh. This is the take a breath moment and, and we we're ridiculously lucky i mean i could walk out here and look at this every day it's um we're just walking up the steps we're at the uh opposite end to the royal box yes. near the press seats the grass is tented at the moment right now so you can't totally see it i will say wimbledon has the best press seats of any of the grand slams i think in terms of quantity of having the whole section being really close to the close court i guess we did lose these rows i want to say yeah, they did move a couple yeah. back. Um, one so thing f- that was quite funny was that when the roof was put on, they redid all the seats inside Centre Court. And they said to the members of the media, do you want new seats? And the media sort of proudly said, no, 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 we'll keep our wooden benches. <laughs> and then, of course, they saw the nice new seats and thought, oh, I wish we'd asked for new seats. Yeah. But we're under the roof, it's slightly closed. Um, it's interesting, it's nice it's interesting that the roof is... Um, this is a little detail. We're standing on the north end of the stadium, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So usually the roof is over the south end during play because it's shading the royal box. The royal box gets shade that not everyone else always gets. It's the privilege of being royal <laughs> and boxed. Yeah, I think it's also um, it's good for the roof to move it around a bit. Yeah. What, what's funny is the number of times I'll come out here and I'll take a picture for put on Facebook or Twitter and and people will tell me, that's not centre court. You're lying to us because they can't see the roof. Um, but it's just the roof happens to be at the other end of the yeah. court. It's interesting, the roof, because in Halle, where I would just want to say they have a roof too, it's obviously a much smaller stadium. Um, but the roof cuts kind of half on each end and they push together in the middle. And here the roof is a one sort of thing that can move all the way to one end, all the way to the other. It's not anchored yep. really anywhere. So that's quite And the number one the court roof will be the same. Oh, okay. Yeah. When is that getting... Done. So that the work building work for that begins after this year's championships, yeah. um, and it will be complete by 2019. So let's talk a little bit about what we see at Centre Court. The Royal Box opposite us is interesting because they have their own separate entrance into the stadium. Basically, you can only get to into the Royal Box from inside the clubhouse, yes. and it's sort of fenced or you know walled off inside there. And so they're actually going to build one of those, I heard, at Indian Wells. They want to have their own Royal Box or a special oh, really? VIP section that's modeled off the Royal Box anyway. I don't, know, I don't know when that's going to happen. It's one of Uncle Larry's dreams for Indian Wells. Um, yeah, so, but it's been a big, big smash. And you see people, I think they have tea every day. So I think at some point, middle of the day, you see everybody leave the Royal Box. At some point, yes. it's empty and it comes back out and everyone's all happy and full of tea and the delicious strawberries and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, the Royal Box is seen as... Um you know, one of a very privileged invites um, in sport, really. Oh, yeah. um, and the guests range from royalty, as you've mentioned, but also to former Olympians, to people who've, you know, played a particular service in the sport. Um, Some celebrities, you see the odd, yeah, you, you do. know, uh, Bradley Cooper. 
Yeah, I think he's I think he's back this year. I believe. Oh, super. Um, yeah, every day we get the list of notables in the royal box, and sometimes you haven't heard of any of them, and sometimes it's well, especially days when it's like, you know, silver medalists, cyclists that we wouldn't have heard of necessarily from mm-hmm. British sports lore, and then other days, like the finals days, usually it's massively packed with everybody. And you're like, wow, them and them and them. Mm-hmm. I saw the Beckhams strolling around at some point when I was up on yes. the the lawn. They're all here, and yeah, it's a great place for. Famous people watching if you want to see Will and Kate and any of that. And then just to the left from where we're looking of the Royal Box is the Players mm-hmm. Box, which I think got reconfigured at some point to keep them a little bit more separate, I want to say. that aisle, I know it's gotten redesigned at some point. I guess maybe when the new scoreboards got put in or something. Mm-hmm. They also, the thing that happened last year, which received a bit of coverage, was putting in this little gate at the end, which we can actually see is open um, for oh, the, to players the players to walk up, up to, to, to go and... Um, celebrate with over. their teams. Yeah, the the, the nerve wracking experience of Rafa Nadal walking across the roof of one of the commentary boxes to uh, shake the hand of King Carlos of Spain, who's here <laughs> watching him, and everyone thinking, God, what if he uh, if falls off the roof? That would um, not be ideal. Yeah, but it is. I don't know. I mean, Ben, you've obviously seen all the four Grand Slam yeah. centre courts. It is a. I I feel like um, centre court is sim- more similar to Rod Laver in, yeah, in its sort of atmosphere. Well, it's one style. tier. There's not, like, multiple tiers hanging off of it, which I enjoy, and it does feel very cozy. It's actually a lot like Rod Laver. I mean, I, I'm guessing Rod Laver was built, was designed in some way mm-hmm. off of center court, but it does have that sort of same cozy, sloping way. It's, it gets a little bit less vertical, maybe, than Rod Laver mm-hmm. is, and it, the seats come down lower, because in Rod Laver, there's that sort of wall that goes all the way around the court. Oh, that's because true, they turn yeah. it into like a swimming pool at some other point in the year. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit different than that. Um, but yeah, I like mm-hmm. it quite a bit. Yeah. So it, it is it's, very green. It is very green. All the seats are green. Uh, we can't see from where we are the famous doors. I feel like on, in Wimbledon, especially the way it's covered on TV and in, in, on NBC, which is what I watched growing up uh, in the U.S., they you know, zoom in on the, on the wooden doors and everything. And usually you can see them here, but I guess the tenting is sort of yeah. we'll blocking out. We'll walk around and see, around and see that from the clubhouse. On the other side. Oh, boy. Yeah. We're about to go real behind the scenes. So let's talk about the flowers. The flowers. Oh, yes. So one of the things that we've also done recently, and it's not so much my responsibility, but in my kind of team, uh, is to... There used to be a view that your Wimbledon experience began when you walked through the gates. Yeah. Um, and now... Which is we, a reason, but that's how it works for most sporting events. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But what we've tried to do is actually have that experience begin as soon as you get off the tube. So we're running this campaign, and we've been doing it on social media as well, um, which we've done for the past couple of years, which is all around Wimbledon awaits. So the idea that as soon as you get off the tube, you get this excitement. I'm nearly there. I'm nearly at Wimbledon. And to be very honest, it's something that we picked up on from the London Olympics. They were very good at that kind of journey just just before you got there. So at Southfields and Wimbledon Station, you'll see the Wimbledon awaits... um, Kind of branding, um, and there are hanging baskets, the flowers, mm-hmm. all the way yep. up the road. There are Wimbledon flags in the village. Yeah, the purple and green banners. Purple and green see, flags, yeah. yeah. And um, it's just, and the same in the queue. So it's just trying to, you know, give people that, that start to their day. And one of the things we're doing from a digital perspective is actually to use iBeacons. And I don't know how much you get into TechGeek chat. Go for it. So iBeacons are, you know, a sort of little sensor, and if you have the Wimbledon app and you walk past an iBeacon at Southfields or Wimbledon Station, um, you will get a message just saying, welcome to Wimbledon. Oh, wow. 
Um, so that's what we're trying to Wimbledon do. Wimbledon is watching you guys. Well, no, but it's not about selling. Okay. Um, a lot of people use this technology. So, you know, uh, at other events, you might walk past a cafe and it'll be like 50% off Coke. Yeah. Uh, Coca-Cola. And, um, <laughs> uh, and that's not absolutely not what we're trying to do at right. all. It's just to give them the start to their, their day. Now, you mentioned learning from the Olympics. And one thing that you do, which is unique among tennis people, at least from people who I know relatively well, is you travel a lot. You do all sorts of things. You went to the Masters in Augusta. Mm-hmm. You went, uh, you're going, to, you're always off in Singapore somewhere, learning from other sports. And it seems like Wimbledon really sees itself as sort of, a, I guess, a, a world player, but also like a world student, and that you guys really do pay a lot of attention to what everybody else does. I guess you can talk about Yeah, that. I mean, I think there is... Um an acceptance here and, a, and an understanding and, and maybe acceptance is the wrong word but actually a drive that if you want to be the best and there is no question that Wimbledon wants to be the best not just of the four slams but among annual yeah. sporting events and then not just among annual sporting events but among rights holders and, and general events I mean um, the Chelsea Flower Show is an event that we often get compared to even though it's nothing to do with tennis but it's a, no. you know, a very popular event you have to see what they're doing, yeah. and especially in a technology world where um, you know things like Wi-Fi are a very hot topic. Um, Do you have apps, Wi-Fi on the grounds here this year? No. We don't have Wi-Fi. No, I mean it's it, that is an evolving thing, and that's something that we we need to do at some point. But the geography of this site is bizarre. Um, anyone who's been here will know that it's possible for it to be raining at one end and sunny at the other, and so the, the topography pay, yeah. pays havoc with the mobile signal. So what we've done is actually try and boost the mobile signal okay. this year um, quite significantly by some distance. And in fact, I did see that Courtney, your co-host of this podcast, remarked on Hi, the fact... Hi, Courtney. Hello, Courtney. Um, remarked on the fact that we had uh, issued a, a notice about which um, phone operators the signal had been yeah. boosted in and saying, you know, try not to use these ones. Um, but, you know, that will come. But... I mean, you know, we're very lucky to be able to travel and go and see what other people do, but arguably, you know, you can learn so much by doing so. And, I mean, Augusta, for us, a lot of our committee members are members of Augusta and go there, and and if they say to us, well, why aren't we like Augusta? And it's hard to kind of challenge that if you don't really know what Augusta's like. So it's a privilege, again, um, but one that I think we believe is worthwhile. How many flights did you take last year? You took some insane number of flights last year. Well, I will qualify that because I was... They weren't all for work. No, they weren't all for work. I did. I was very lucky. I went with my family to South America, which involves a lot of flying. Yeah. Um, but I took around 37 or so flights. Wow. Yeah. I, took, I feel like I take a lot. I feel like I was under 30 last year. I remember, remember saying my number being like, wow, that was a lot. That's my 28th and final flight. And you're like, ha, I'm a 37. I was like, oh, Willis <laughs> wins again. <laughs> No, no, no. I'm not competitive, I promise. So we have the bus here. We're, we're outside the other side of Centre Court now, which is, has the balcony. I guess it's the sort of famous thing on here where the champion comes out and waves to the masses after it's the singles one. finals. Oh, yes, the balcony so on this side. The balcony. Okay. This is the south, the east. So the sort of diagonal-facing balcony, yeah. yeah. So faces onto the, the And that's one of those um, sort of mini southwest, sorry, I was wrong, these mini kind of traditions that has evolved recently that we've tried to consciously capture and I think especially in 2013 when Andy Murray won the groundswell of support in this outside area I first remember seeing it when the Queen came to Wimbledon Mm. it was amazing the people literally lined all the tarmac people were kind of 
you know, cramming into balconies to see her. Yeah. Um, and then when Murray won, this area around here was um, was just packed. And again, it's it is one of those uh, spaces that it's now completely empty. And when it's full, you can't imagine it being empty. And when yeah. it's empty, you, you can't, can't imagine it, it being yeah. full. Which is kind of how we feel most of the year, to be honest. Yeah, that's fair. And let's see, just orient, orient ourselves here. So the southwest area sort of faces into the new court three, which replaced old graveyard court two. Mm-hmm. And it's a ticketed stadium there. <laughs> <laughs> We're just uh, commenting on the fact um, that was our championships director. So she's our tournament director walking past. Ah. And, What's her um, name? Sarah Clark. Ah. And, uh, I didn't realize you had a female tournament director. We do. Lovely. We do have a female tournament director. Um, and uh, today we did a piece of content which, uh, to give you a little sneak preview, uh, we will be releasing next week um, on Wimbledon's platforms, um, which was Andy Murray on Henman Hill uh, with five eight-week-old puppies. I think a um, bunch of ovaries just exploded, is the sound that you're hearing <laughs> in the distance. Um, well, we know that Andy is a dog lover, and um, we wanted to do something to highlight the work that the... Met Police sniffer dogs do here at Wimbledon. Very mm. important role. Yeah. But also Andy is a um, ambassador for the World Wildlife Fund. He loves dogs. He loves dogs. So uh, we had him playing with uh, some puppies on the hill, trying to teach them tricks, which was pretty funny because they were just running around in circles yeah, and I, everyone was catching them. I saw. I was. I came here at the end of that, and like Kim was there and saying that Maggie would, Maggie and Rusty would have torn up the hill. And they would not have been Wimbledon ready canines, but. Uh, yeah, it seems like you found a yeah. good match, a canine oh, match. It was really fun. I mean, watch this space. But Sarah was um, unfortunately in a very important committee meeting, oh, so no. missed it, and she's devastated she didn't <laughs> get to see the puppies. They were very cute. They were like small black ones. I saw black ones. Anyway. Yeah, little, little black Cocker Spaniel puppies. Lovely. Yeah. Lovely. Wimbledon, always the best, even <laughs> in puppies. Um, yeah, so these are the, you called these the, what courts? Outside courts. Outside so courts. This is and this is the southern outside courts. And this feels a little bit like what Roehampton feels like, which is where I've been elsewhere this week is qualifying, mm-hmm. is that although you do have it paved in between, so it's not quite the same, but it's like a field. And this is where you really get a sense of the grass being the more organic surface. I mean, you can walk mm-hmm. at the same level as the grass and just really sort of mingle about it, and it feels like you're on somebody's grand backyard lawn yeah i mean there, there is a saying that we have we use internally i don't think it's a brilliant um sort of consumer proposition but we call it tennis in an english garden mm-hmm. and it's that when you come to wimbledon you feel like you're in an english garden and that's you know, hence the attention to all the flowers yeah. and and you don't want to hide anything behind walls um but one of the objectives of the master plan is actually to space these courts out a bit more okay so at the moment there are four they can be very crowded if there's a if there's interesting matches on both courts it It can can be be. pretty tough to get through but I was having a chat with someone this morning you can walk down here you can sit on a bench and you can watch Bob Bryan one of the best doubles player in the world right in front of you Um, but they are going to reduce it from four to three in the years to come Mm. to give the courts a bit more more space are they putting the new courts somewhere else? so they will go the other side of number one court oh okay so So there will be three new courts on the other side that's the I mean this is we're talking 2019 beyond gotcha Always moving ahead, Wimbledon. Well, this is the thing. I mean, we're very lucky uh, that we can take a long-term view. Yeah. Because we know that um, we're, we're secure in, in the event that it's it will keep going. Yeah. Um, Wimbledon's not at risk of bankruptcy or, you know, irrelevance anytime soon. Wimbledon will stay with... I mean, it's a, it's a brand that's really a pillar. Yeah, but, I mean, I will say uh, we have to work at it. And actually, one of the reasons that digital and social is becoming very important to us is because it is our 
mouthpiece to the younger generation yeah. out there who maybe didn't grow up watching Wimbledon on NBC yeah. because they don't have a TV. And so, actually, if our way into them is via Snapchat, which we launched yesterday, oh. um, yeah, Wimbledon is now on Snapchat. Very hip, apparently. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not even hip enough for Snapchat. I don't N- get nor Snapchat. am I. Yeah. No, I mean, no. I don't even know how to work it. I had no. to learn. It's hard. I think it's really non. I ranted about this on the podcast a few months ago. Okay. I think. I think Snapchat is surprisingly not intuitive and just difficult. But it is what anyone but, but aged the, under 25 exactly. does. The kids you know, love it. Snapchat, WhatsApp. So we actually, in the apps, we have a WhatsApp share icon now. Ooh. So if someone wants to share you know, a photo of you know, Novak Djokovic um, on a bicycle, which we shot today, or Rafa peeking over the back of the Rangi practice courts to see who was hitting behind him, we can do it on Snapchat. And then that might be the right way, or they can share it to their friends from the app. So we did not, talk, we did not go to Rangi on this tour, but let's talk very briefly about that before we go mm-hmm. inside. Um, Orangi is where on the grounds, and what is Orangi? So Orangi is uh, known as Orangi Park, and it is the area on the other side of Number One Court. Um, it's the practice courts, basically. Yeah. And the reason it is called Orangi Park, and actually the hill's official name is Orangi Terrace, mm. is because way back when the club originally bought the grounds, they couldn't afford to use them all. And so they leased the area in the north to the London New Zealand Rugby Club. Mm. And they called that area Orangi Park. And Orangi means cloud in the sky in Maori. Ah. And because it's very high up. When yeah. you walk to the top of it, you can actually see all the way into central London. You can see the, the shard and things like that. You can see like the that. shard, you can yeah. see Canary Wharf. So that is why it's called Orangi. But there's been a huge amount of work this year to redevelop the Orangi Pavilion, which is where all the players... Uh, go to practice to make the facilities there as nice as they are here. And that's not open to the public, right? That's not open to the public, no. But, um, I mean, they put in something like 10 ice baths and Mm. stretching areas and uh, a little patch of of grass around the back, which is a mini version of Indian Wells's... um, Soccer uh, lawn? Massive soccer lawn, Oh, nice. But it's just for stretching and Uh, and warming up. Oh, okay. No, soccer's going to happen. But there's also, in the Millennium Building, they've put in an underground um, running warm-up track. Okay. Which is actually Millennium Building is it's the one uh, next to the press centre. Okay, sure. So it's called Millennium Building because it's in the shape of an M. If you look at oh. it from above, okay. And it was built in the Millennium. Oh, there you go. Yeah, sure. But uh, it's quite cool when you go down there. There is um, this uh, space that is painted green like a court, and it's the width of a court mm-hmm. for the, with the idea that players might be doing um, suicide yeah, sprints or whatever drill, drills and do. stuff. Yeah. Cool. So we are now outside these famous wooden doors, another iconic thing that say, please remove clay court shoes before entering the clubhouse. Not that anyone is wearing clay court shoes, I don't think, right now, but it's a nice thing to say. And private members only. And All England Lawn Tennis and Croquet Club. This is it. This is the entrance to the club we're outside. During the championships, you can't get anywhere near here, so we're, we're, uh, we're, we're going in just before we're, we're not allowed to. Yes. Just a point about clay, though. Very few people realise there are clay courts You do have here. clay courts, yeah. yeah. They're I all in the south. I want to say that Murray practiced here at some point before his clay swing. He did, yeah. And it went very well for him. So yes. good clay at Wimbledon. Yeah, it's green clay. Mm-hmm. So it's the American style. Um, but and yeah. those are at the south end. Sort of Wimbledon, yes. the ground sort of come to a point at Church Road. Mm-hmm. And that other road is called something. Somerset Road. Somerset Road, yeah. It comes to a sort of triangle point. Mm-hmm. And so the clay courts are at the end there. Not really accessible during the championships, I don't think. No, it's actually where all the hospitality marquees get gotcha. placed. Okay. But without harping on about the master plan, 
an idea is to open that area up completely to become um, a kind of public park plaza where people can go and sit okay. and watch the southern courts from behind ah. and move all the clay courts and all the hospitality to the other side of Somerset Road. That would make sense. Yeah. All right. Let's go in. Let's go inside. We're going inside. We're opening the wooden doors. I'm very excited. I feel underdressed. So, so we're passing the roles of honour here, the ladies and men's doubles. Mm-hmm. This is very exciting. And the famous quote, the famous quote is ahead of us, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. Wimbledon loves Almost that. as good as Rafa Nadal reciting it before the 2008 final. What did he say? Do you remember that? No. It was during uh, the, the 2008 final was obviously rain delayed quite significantly. Yeah. And they, the BBC, kind of their, what they did, one of the ways of filling was to uh, pre-roof, obviously, was to play this kind of preview video. And they had Rafa reading out that uh, quote, which um, you can imagine was not quite how it's normally recited. And it's tough English. I feel like it's, it was awkward for me to read it even now. So I can imagine that Rafa English, which we adore in its, all its quirks, was interesting. Yes. We but see yes, photos so... above of Kvitova. And Djokovic, our mm-hmm. reigning champions. So there are banners out on that aforementioned triangle point outside that say men's singles champion Novak Djokovic, women, ladies singles champion Petra Kvitova. Mm-hmm. So they do like their winners here. Mm-hmm. And then up in front of us, oh, we're, we're, we're between the two famous wooden staircases, which used to get used on the broadcast quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and the roles of honor with the singles champions are right next to the doors to the court. Yeah, so you probably, when you would have seen this, is... Um, either when the player first comes down, so the yeah. cameras, the TV cameras are allowed to stand at the foot of the staircase, and the player comes down from the locker rooms, which are around the other side. Well, sometimes there. they follow them all the way down the hallway now. At the end, yeah. yeah. Okay. But at the beginning, they come down here, gotcha. and then they go yeah. out into the doors. But then when you see the champion come out at the end, you see their name having just been inscribed on that green Within board Within minutes, over there. yeah. Mm-hmm. You want to look and at the board? Yeah. Let's Should we walk over? Yeah. Let's look at the board of singles champions. I came in here um, quite by chance with Rod Laver. Ah. He, uh, I got a phone call saying, um, Rod Laver's just turned up at, at the gate. <laughs> and um, I was like, okay. And I had actually been very lucky. I'd, I'd interviewed him in San Diego um, just before Indian Wells last year. And he had come with a group of his friends from San Diego, um, having been on a cruise around the Nordics. Oh. And apparently they had said to him, Rod, Rod, please take us to Wimbledon. And obviously, as a member, he can come whenever he likes. Yeah. So he brought them in, and uh, we sat down here in front of this green board, and he took pictures, and he pointed out his name. And He's on there four times, four-time champion, 61, 62, 68, and 69. And 68 was the first open one. That's right. So that's yeah. when he, with the amateur rule, he had to stop in 62, I guess, when he turned pro, and mm-hmm. came back and won some more. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then the ladies is on the other side, and... I think so. I remember Serena, you know, her being very proud of. I think it was probably when she got her 2010 title, yeah. looking at the, the row of Williamses there. Four in a row, yeah. And there were four in a row before 2000, 2003. All Williams, one Sharapova, mm-hmm. Williams, Moresma, Williams, 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 Kvitova, Williams, Bartoli, mm-hmm. Kvitova. And men's, obviously, a collection of Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, and they, Andy Murray. Mm-hmm. So, what was that like when Andy Murray won here? Because obviously, you guys are impartial. But Andy Murray winning. I was here. That was my first Wimbledon that I covered as press. It was uh, pretty, pretty exciting times. Yeah, I mean, I think you made a very important point that we, 
Probably because we're not the, the national governing body, we, we absolutely are impartial. Um, we are a British event and therefore a British player doing well is, is fantastic. But you know, we will always try to be balanced in our coverage. But I think for me, having been to so many finals when he'd lost, yeah. it was just this utter sort of sense of disbelief. And um, during the championships, I, I watch pretty much no tennis at all. Um, may, maybe make it to a game or two. Yeah. Um, and I made a conscious decision that I was going to go up into one of the commentary boxes on Centre Court where two members of my team were up there live blogging and live tweeting. And I was standing behind them. Um, and he's, he began to, and I only made it up there, I think, the game he was about to serve for the match. Yeah. And then he saw the three match points and we were like, oh my God, I can't believe this. And then Djokovic comes back and saves all three, has break point, a break point again, and break point again. And then the last match point, and what was crazy is that in the commentary box, it's soundproofed, so you can't hear anything. You could just watch them play. Yeah. And there was suddenly this, like, roar from the crowd. You could hear through the glass as they erupted as he won. And the one thing I remember, there was this woman in the commentary box at the other end who just screamed, he did it! Um, which uh, was crazy. But, I mean, you know, an amazing moment in the tournament's history. Yeah, but, um, for sure. Yeah. You think he'll get... We didn't. We kind of did a C around the center court. We didn't see the Fred Perry statue. But do you think Andy Murray will get a statue? Oh, I think yeah, he definitely will. When he retires, yeah. um, the club have said that they would commemorate him in, in, in some way. Um, you think he'd ever give one to a non-Brit, like a Federer type? Or a Williams? Someone who else who sets records? Is, you look around the, or the busts of all the female champions and I guess some of the men and the Fred Perry full statue whatever very that, good is question. Where, that is one part where it feels like it has more of a British yeah uh, tilt no, very to good it. question I mean I you know in, in uh, Melbourne Park you've got the Aussies commemorated yeah. same in uh, the US so that's true probably not but and I do, French they have long lawn and all that stuff yeah. yeah but I do think there's a role to be played here especially because it's a members club and this idea yeah. of becoming a member there is a role to be played here for former champions and I mean Tim Hemman um, okay, he's a Brit, so he's a bad example, but he sits on our committee. Um, he's very involved in, in yeah. the kind of day-to-day running of the club. He might be the chairman one day. Um, so I think there is definitely a role for members to play if they want to. It's so encouraged. We're, we're in the sort of clubhouse area right now, and I will say I was in here once last year doing a story about the um, scheduling, having more women's matches on centre court, and I was mm-hmm. talking to... Richard Lewis. Richard, I was talking to it's Richard Lewis. Chief executive yes. of Wimbledon. I was talking to Richard Lewis, the chief executive of Wimbledon, and uh, coming through here, and on the way out, I was, you know, I usually fairly dressy for most journalists here. I wear, like, khakis and button-down shirt, which is not much, but it's more but than most. Shoes. And lovely shoes, always. And um, on the way back, I was told, oh, you need a, a coat to be in the clubhouse during the tournament, so I guess mm-hmm. there's still sort of formalness to it, even then. Jacket and tie. Jacket yeah, and tie, yeah. And yeah. time. Yeah. So um, sometimes we have guests who come in uh, here and um, my boss uh, is allowed to invite them to dine in the members' restaurant, but they have to bring a jacket and tie. So we have a, a collection of ties that we keep. Okay. Um, not sure what you would do for women. Obviously, don't put on a tie, but yeah, um, yeah you do have to be. I'm just feeling, jeans, I'm feeling underdressed in my jeans right now. It's yeah, all, yeah, no, all I'm saying. We're safe. letting you get away with well, it. Well, I appreciate but, all of you yeah. giving this to the, the listeners and all of that. And we'll finish maybe with the trophies. Yeah. The trophies are here. This big men's one is the Challenge Cup. Is that mm-hmm. what it's right? That's right. I yeah. saw that in the style guide. I would never have known that before. Very good. The, with the pineapple on top, mm-hmm. which I appreciate. Pineapples mean hospitality usually mm-hmm. and symbols so I'm not exactly sure what I said but yeah you can see the engraving 2014 
No, that Chuck Wish. I don't see any other names on. Is that a new band, maybe? I don't uh, see any names before 2008, so maybe must they must have put a new belt. Yeah. Oh, no, oh, they're, no up, they're up, up on yeah, the they're up there. actual cup itself, not mm-hmm. on the base. Okay. Yeah. It's a nice trophy. Very And shiny. you know there are only two trophies. I did not know that. Explain. Mm. So um, there is this one here, mm-hmm. and there is one in the museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are no more than that, so we're not quite like uh, the Champions League, of which there are about 25, apparently. Gotcha. Or there are many FA Cups. Um, not sure how many World Cups there are. And the engraving... No gets done within minutes mm-hmm. also just yes. like the, the thing so you see I think it's been the women's final last year when they had the close route before the trophy ceremony so it was about to start to rain then mm-hmm. and Jeannie Bouchard and Kudova went and waited in the engraver's room and while it was being engraved mm-hmm. so that's yeah. pretty cool yeah the guy it's an amazing story actually um, Roman who's Polish drives every year in his car all the way from Poland to Wimbledon with the help um, of a boat I hope yeah. mm-hmm. with the help of a boat with the help of a boat but he doesn't yeah. fly yeah. and he's in his 70s and uh, he, uh, yeah, he, he is the man who engraves the trophies. And the other one is the women's trophy across the way. Mm-hmm. Very pretty trophy, the Venus rosewater dish. Mm-hmm. It's hoisted. Yeah. It's Made in the uh, same place, I believe, as uh, the Birmingham trophy in, 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 a, in a, an area called the Jewelry Quarter in Birmingham. Oh. The, German, the Birmingham trophy is sort of like a gravy boat looking yeah. one. Okay. Yeah. I think you guys got the better deal. <laughs> I gotta say. <laughs> so, yeah. It's a, it's a, definitely has an aura in here, I think. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if you... There's a sword up there, um, ceremony. A sword? Oh, yeah. yeah. What's that sword doing there? That was presented, I think, on the occasion of the Silver Jubilee, maybe? Okay. Um, because the Queen is the patron of the club. Naturally. So there is a, that royal connection. Very cool. Well, thank you very much, Alex Willis. Is You're there anything welcome. else we should leave you... To tell people to look forward to during the championships this year um, that you have coming I mean, and all I, your many. I would say this, um, you know, follow us. Follow us on Twitter <laughs> yeah. uh, or, you know, Facebook, Instagram, whichever one and you like. And visit the website. I don't visit always the visit website. the websites that often, but you guys do an incredible amount of content. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've checked out the new .com, but what we've tried to do is um, just make it much more simple to use, but also make life scoring much more accessible. Um, so it's it's always there it's on a screen on the home page on the right and it also clicks you through to match highlights and stuff and uh, I don't know if anyone's noticed but we do have moving video in our home page which Sorry. is um, it's hypnotic it is yes uh, I like that you said that it's I think it's pretty cool and I think you're feedback pre- welcome anytime I, I think you're pretty cool too as well you're uh, on Twitter as well also at Alex Twitter. Willis you should follow her as well and you are on various social channels Beyonce concerting and stuff on your Instagram and whatnot. <laughs> yes, my finest moment. We, I don't know if you want to talk about that. But oh, I know. I'm happy to was, because it's not amusing. actually my fault. No, sure. Um, so what happened there? Explain, so, explain this story. So I uh, went to Beyonce. and um, At the O2? At the O2, yeah. It was last year. And I was so excited about it that I um, Instagrammed a photo of it. And in Instagram, I chose to also share it on Twitter. And I don't know if anyone's been bitten by this, but sometimes the Instagram app slightly messes up if you've got more than one Twitter <laughs> account. And um, unbeknownst to me, it posted my tweet to the Wimbledon Twitter account, which at the time had around maybe 1.2 million followers. It's about 1.6 million now, by Very the way. Very nice. Um, and uh, I didn't realise. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, put and my I- phone away for the next two and a half hours of the concert got it out the next day and uh, or you know, later that evening and I had quite a few text messages 
uh, a few uh, sort of WhatsApps and a whole bunch of tweets. And uh, <laughs> my favourite one was, ah, oh, so apparently some girl called Alex Willis runs Wimbledon Twitter. Okay. <laughs> it, was, no, it, was, it was something funny. Like, it was like, oh, it turns out Wimbledon is just some girl named Alex Willis or something. It was this grand disappointment, but I think that no one should ever be disappointed by you because you're quite, oh. quite wonderful. Thank, thank you, you very, very much, much, my Willis. Thank you for having me. No problem. And do you have a, do you have an outro song? An want? outro song. Oh my god. That you want to choose? I feel uh, like I feel like I, I would steer you to something that we sang, One Directionally in our Melbourne accommodations. But oh yes. I don't have to. The the night of the cereal eating. Yes, Willis and I shared a lodging. I'll show you up in twenty thirteen mm-hmm. and and twelve. Yeah. And fourteen. Yeah. Yeah. But thirteen uh, was the most memorable of the th- of the three, I think. What's the one about beautiful? Your that would make you beautiful. Yes, oh, we'll do there that. All right, thank you very much, Willis. Thank you. Thanks for trying Wimbledon, and back to the rest of the show. So, thank you very much, Alex Willis, for joining us, and thank you all for joining us for this show once again. If you want to follow along with us when you're not listening, you can do so by following us on Twitter at ncr underscore tennis. You can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash ncr podcast you can also subscribe to the show on whatever podcasting platform of listening thing you have itunes podcast app whatever um rss feed is there too and if you want to leave us reviews on itunes we appreciate that hugely and if you want to send us questions for an upcoming show we're going to do a draw show next and then a couple shows hopefully during wimbledon probably middle sunday uh we would love to hear your questions no challenges remaining at gmail in the meantime, though, Courtney, I want to hear all about your trip that just happened because we've been apart for weeks. And while we were apart, you were all over the place. So in lieu of our normal rant rave section, we're just going to hear about what Courtney did on her summer vacation in Canada. All over the place, just physically, mentally, emotionally. It was I had my doubts well. about this. I had my <laughs> doubts about this itinerary beforehand which i expressed to you yes what how did it how did it all go at the, at the end of the day we we got where we needed to go when we needed to get there is it an itinerary is it an itinerary i would ever do again probably not so what happened was i wanted to i had this obviously break between the french open and wimbledon kind of cleared it with my editors to basically say look like can you guys just handle keep an eye on tennis i'm gonna kind of sign off for a little while after the french open so i flew out of paris uh, the Monday after the French Open, uh, on an 11 p.m. flight, took the red eye, I guess, back to the states. Got into San Francisco at noon on last noon last Tuesday. Okay. okay. Hopped on the train to get back to my house. Got home by about two two thirty, and proceeded to dump out my luggage and repack and wait for my good friend Stephanie who many people who followed my career know very well she's comes with us to Indian Wells all the time and have known her ever since college uh waited for she's actually she's actually our producer <laughs> at times on our, mas- on our masthead she would be the producer she would be um but Steph I, I basically producer. was waiting for her to get off work um and take the train to my house and we were going to leave that very day for the 1900 mile trek via car from San Francisco to Winnipeg, uh, Manitoba. Manitoba. <laughs> okay, Manitoba, <laughs> which for those of you who don't know is if in stateside is like north of like Min- Minnesota and like North Dakota ish, like those. Which is pretty much not that far west 
of Chicago. Right. It's so pretty it's close to Chicago. <laughs> basically, so it's in the central time zone. There are four time zones in the U.S. in the lower 48. And this, so you traveled across two of them. I did. Yes. So we did. So we drove, we took off at about uh, 8 or 9 p.m. that Tuesday night. Drove all through the night over the Sierra Nevadas, eastward over the Sierra Nevadas, through a little bit of Idaho, a lot of Nevada, and into Wyoming. Split some of the driving. But so the good thing is Wyoming was wonderful. I'd never been to Wyoming before. Yellowstone National Park, the Grand Tetons, that section of the Rocky Mountains. I want to go back. Like, I will go back before my life is over. Um, there was so much that we didn't get to see because we were crunched on time. So after staying there for one of the nights, drove pretty much all night through to North Dakota, which we got so this, in. Is, this, is, this is mostly night driving you were doing? A lot of it was night driving. I mean, we stayed over in Jackson Hole, Wyoming for the, not Tuesday night, Wednesday night. The game was on Friday. Yeah. So on Wednesday, so on Thursday morning, we woke up in Jackson Hole, drove through Yellowstone and the Grand Teton National Park um, and north Thursday and then made the decision that night, let's just drive through the night and get into the hotel in, in Grand Forks, North Dakota, which is about three hours from Winnipeg on Friday morning, rest a little bit and then hop back in the car and drive that three hours to Winnipeg to get there in time for a 5 p.m. game. Okay. Which is what we did. And you cut it relatively close. We cut it pretty close. We got there like maybe an hour and a half before the U.S. game. Maybe a little bit more than that. But yeah, it was pretty close. But we got into Winnipeg. This was not a fun drive. I mean, up until, I mean, driving over the Sierra Nevadas, I've done that a gazillion times. It's not particularly scenic. Um, That's not a big deal. The Rockies, wonderful. I would actually do the drive from California to the Rockies if ever I wanted to go to, like, Wyoming. But that stretch from Wyoming to Manitoba was an absolute <laughs> desert of nothing. Like, no, and it of wasn't wheat. a desert. I mean, it was just, I mean, it was just plains and yeah. farms. But there was nothing. And you were easily just kind of, like, like, get highway hypnosis where like your eyes would kind of glaze over because nothing about the terrain is changing. So yeah, so it just wasn't, it was not pleasant at all. The drive from like, once you get out of like Montana to, right. to, um, to, uh, uh, the plain, great plains, the great plains. Yeah. And up. So then we got up to Winnipeg. Then we had to drive back to Grand Forks, which is where our hotel was because Winnipeg, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. How was the game? Yeah, the game was good. It was a zero, zero tie. It made me think of you. I know. I watched it actually. I yeah. You were, we were texting during the time. That's right. right. Yeah. But it made me think of you regardless of the text messages, just because I was like, this is so Ben making fun of me for driving 1900 miles for a nil, nil draw. That is soccer making fun of me. <laughs> that is soccer trolling me. So that was a little frustrating for sure. But it was, I mean, it was very cool to see so many U.S. fans in Winnipeg and kind of taking over. But like, you know, we yelped like because the game finished at like 730. So we were like trying to find some food. So we yelped like, you know, best restaurants in Winnipeg. And we went to like the number one or number two or number three most well-rated one. And it was literally an Olive Garden. (laughs) Just it wasn't called Olive Garden. I was like, and so it was just like, you drove this whole way and you didn't really get to eat that good of food. And I was sleep deprived and tired. And we still had three hours going back the other way. And then all these U.S. fans had to cross the border for Winnipeg, which meant going back over the border took like an hour and a half of just sitting in your car because all the Americans were going back. It was rough. That that was just the beginning. That was just the beginning. So 
We get back to Grand Forks around like two or three a.m. Sleep. I think I don't think I even changed. I literally walked up to the hotel room and and collapsed on my bed and just slept. In your uh, Tobin Heath jersey. In my Tobin Heath jersey, yes. Um, I think my shoes were still on. I mean, it was just it was one of those. Collapsed. Woke up. Felt relatively refreshed and began the drive to Vancouver. And we had decided that we wanted to go to Banff, uh, which is like this national park in Canada. In Alberta. Alberta. I was like, Ontario? No, Alberta. No, you were not in Ontario. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I'm sorry, Canada. I'm ignorant of your provinces. This is actually funny because going back to a previous rant for a couple weeks ago, and my friend was on Jeopardy. They had a one of the categories on the last show he won, I think. The, well, the last category in Double Jeopardy was Canadian cities. And Alex Trebek, who's the host, who is Canadian, like – and, they, and when they were reading the categories at the end, he was like, Canadian cities, ooh. And he got all excited about it. And the the trio of them went completely over. <laughs> and one guy and one guy went from like 4,500 positive to like minus 2,000. Got like everything wrong. And they seriously got zero questions about Canadian geography correct, it's... which is pretty amusing. And it says a lot about Americans' uh, thoughts on Canada for worse, Okay, it says It says two things, though. Because it's not just about American thoughts on Canada, which are terrible. Like, we made a lot of Canadian jokes. I'm sorry. They happened, I'm sure you did. They happen in the privacy of our own car. We would never do that to the very polite Canadians who served us and hosted us and were otherwise wonderful. The entire – the people are great. But there's a reason why I don't know the position of Saskatchewan. It's because there's nothing in Saskatchewan. <laughs> There's literally nothing like it. Like we had to, we drove through. Like so, we came. We we're starting in Grand Forks, drove east, which meant back through Montana. Um, and we then drove west. Sorry, west. I'm sorry. Back through Montana, and then went up because we wanted to avoid that whole Winnipeg situation, um, or the crossing into uh, Manitoba. So we crossed in through Saskatchewan, where okay. literally. We were the only car to cross that border in the 30 minutes that we were there. Like, because we had stopped at a gas station nearby and we could, like, literally see the border and the checkpoint. And, like, not a single, like, a car that wasn't a big rig tried to cross the Saskatchewan border. So we it's were, a huge, it's a huge border, the Canadian border with the U.S. It is, like but, like, no hugest. one was going to Saskatchewan is my point. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so we go up through Saskatchewan. We get grilled by... The border control officer, Canadian border control, who's like, where are you guys from? San Francisco. Where are you going? Um, Vancouver. <laughs> At which point he, he lifts his eyes from the passport and he's like, you're from Canadian, you're from San Francisco and you're going to Vancouver and you're coming through Saskatchewan. <laughs> and we're like, and I started kind of cracking jokes and like, it, they weren't, they weren't landing. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and finally, we were just like, we're, we're very stupid. But we were like, no, like we were in Winnipeg and now we're going to Vancouver. And he's like, OK. Um, so we go up through Saskatchewan and there's nothing. It's just dead. So we end up driving to Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, mm -hmm. which has been informed me. People from Moose Jaw are called Moose Javians. Which I only learned from the Jeopardy category because <laughs> the, the clue was people from this town in Canada are called Moose Javids and the person in the middle of the was like Edmonton. <laughs> like, oh. He didn't even get Moose Jaw. He didn't even get Moose Jaw from giving the hit Moose Javid. <laughs> That's amazing. It's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, so we stayed the night in Moose Jaw. We went to some restaurant. It was fine. 
And then we got up super early because we wanted to get to Banff at a reasonable hour, right? Like getting into the national park at like 10 o'clock at night does you nothing because the next day you're going to have to get up and drive to Vancouver uh, because the game was two days away. So we woke up at like five in the morning, started driving at 6 a.m. through the rest of Saskatchewan, through Alberta, finally hit Banff around like 1.30, which is past Calgary. Um, Was very nice. Had some fondue. I don't know. It seemed like a thing to do. Yeah, sure. Um, but at the same time, we didn't have time because we had to go to the game. So we didn't really get to like explore or see anything. I didn't get to drive over the ice fields. Um, didn't go up to Lake Louise. Like basically everything we saw, we saw from the car, which is kind of a bummer, but it's fine. Um, and then, yeah, eventually got to Vancouver that night at like our, I guess, Tuesday morning at like 1 a.m. Okay. Checked into the hotel. Um or no, Monday, no, Monday morning at 1 a.m. And then checked into the hotel and like so had like all of Monday to just chill out um, in Vancouver because Steph had never been to Canada and had never been to Vancouver. So she really wanted to go, um, which was lovely to just have a day to like zone out. Um, and then Tuesday was the game. And then Wednesday morning we woke up and we drove all the way to San Francisco. Nonstop. Getting into... We got to my house at 6 a.m. Wow. All because Steph had a had a flight for her job that day at 11 p.m. This is super stressful, this itinerary. And can you tell us, for those of you who may not know, who the one player you saw score on your trip was? Fucking Abby Wambach! That's, like, that's rough. That's you did nothing to deserve this. I did nothing to deserve it. Like my intentions were there, my heart was in the right place. I had my kit and my gear. I was wearing it proudly through Canada, which was totally fine because it's not like anybody in Canada was going to like hit me over the head for wearing a U.S. kit. Um, they might say, "Oh, you're from the states, eh?" It was yeah. so crazy though because in Vancouver, like seriously, it was overrun with the red, white, and blue. It was nuts. Like I, it shocked me for sure. Like I was totally surprised how many people had come in i think all of vancouver was surprised as well because when i spoke to like bartenders or like the hotel people they were like we're completely booked out we've been so packed like it's everybody everyone's an american that's here like you don't even know any the only people who were canadians were people who owned their stores um so it was pretty that was pretty cool and pretty nuts um yeah i was not happy about the fact that i had to watch Abby Wambach, although very happy to happy to say that I was there for both Alex Morgan and Tobin Heath's. Well, I'm pretty I know it was for Alex Morgan's, but I'm pretty sure it was Tobin Heath's uh, first World Cup starts in their careers. Oh, cool. So that was kind of cool. But yeah, I mean, it was it was a great it was an adventure. I kind of wish the thing that I thought was I knew it was going to be a grueling trip and I still recommend to anybody like take the risk and do trips like this just because you'll never know until you do them. I mean, and no matter what it was, it was still far better than having to go through security and sit on a plane and all that sort of jazz, which I do throughout the year anyway. So it was more fun to be in a car with my friend than be on a plane. Mm-hmm. But that said, I, I kind of thought that it would be, I knew the time restraints were going to be there and that we we're going to do some crazy driving. I just thought there would be more to see like while you're in the car or like more roadside diners or just more little things that would create opportunities for kind of weird and wacky life situations. 
but there that's was all you wanted is some weird wacky life situation. that's all i wanted and like canada could not provide that for me nor could the great plains because there just weren't there weren't like those random diners it was just like here's a gas station and then you yeah. fill up and it's like next gas station is in another 140 miles and you're like oh, okay so i guess i'll just load up on sunflower seeds and beef jerky then you know um so it, it just felt like a lot of that like a lot of it was just like the worst part of road tripping as opposed to like the best part of road tripping well it was a good experience nonetheless it was i wouldn't i wouldn't redo it i just wouldn't do it again which i think are like you know that's not mutually exclusive things you wouldn't redo it you just wouldn't do it again no i would redo it oh okay like like back if you told me this is how it was gonna go i would have done it anyway Gotcha. Okay. But okay. I would, I just would never do it again because, yeah, I, I basically have decided I'm never driving past the Rocky Mountains. Okay. That's 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 the line I draw. Everything else, I'm flying. Yes, I'm glad we had this line after previously, you know, showing you maps and things. I'm glad that <laughs> this is sort of your there's conclusion. A, there is a and, smugness yeah. to your to your voice. I must admit. I wish just we were sitting at the table in Paris, being like. You know where Winnipeg is, right? No, but see, it's but, like you, but over there. But Ben, you were you were putting it in the context of of like the number of miles, which the number of miles don't freak me out. It was how boring those miles were. If it okay. was like nineteen hundred miles, but like up and down and up and down and up and down the the Pacific coast or up and down the Eastern Seaboard, it would be really fun, right? Like it, it wouldn't be about the mileage it's just that like there was absolutely nothing between the rockies and winnipeg and that became incredibly frustrating gotcha yeah gotcha like if you had told me seriously there's nothing there i've been like really come on there's got to be something in like saskatchewan there's a fucking town called moose jaw or and <laughs> and, and medicine hat <laughs> so many so many moose javians so many moose javians they got to be cool right and then i would have yeah. googled it and i would have been like well maybe i don't know maybe we should just fly into montreal or sorry fly into winnipeg and then fly to calgary rent a car in calgary and then do that drive to vancouver which is a very nice drive um and then drive home which is also a very nice drive but you didn't tell me it was boring i'm sorry i haven't done this drive you need to learn these things for yourself and because of my lewis and clark expedition now we know there's a reason yeah. why a certain part of Canada and the and North America and uh, the United States should not be mapped. They should take Sacagawea off that gold dollar <laughs> no one uses and put oh. Courtney Nguyen and Seth on it. Sacrifices. Sacrifices for the betterment of humankind. Sacagawea told us what was there. Courtney and Steph told us what's not there. Exactly. Which, let's face it, so much more important. And with that, we will leave you guys. Uh, thank you very much for listening. That extended rant thing. And the rest of the show, we'll be back to you with the draw. Bye, guys. Go USA!